Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by The Masked Man Show. It's the biggest time of the year for professional wrestling, and all this week, David Shoemaker is previewing the WrestleMania matches with a couple of very special guests. You can subscribe to The Masked Man Show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at ThrillHair.com and joining me in the studio is my subterranean homesick alien, it's Andy Greenwell! I'm so excited, buddy. Big show today. What's up, man? Uh, we're going to talk today about an album that turned 20 years old last week. Ooh, this is one for the old heads. Radiohead's OK Computer will be the subject of most of this podcast, so yeah. uh, if, you, if you're not into Radiohead, like our producer Zach... It's going to be a great podcast. You can you. stop listening like our producer, Zach. <laughs> We're also going to talk a little bit about crashing, and Andy has a show he wants to uh, breathe a little bit of that Greenwald air into. Mm, I'm you know? excited. I'm surprised. <laughs> Chris, fun fact, guys. Like Tom York, Chris Ryan hates surprises. <laughs> All weekend, he was like, what's the show you want to talk about? No, I just want to know. It doesn't matter, man. Just let it happen okay, on mic. It's, it's fine. It's all live. Uh, first, we're going to do a little bit of inner out. Yeah. Uh, and we got to start with them. Um, before that, though, I was, could I do one bit of house, housekeeping? I think last week we said we were going to do a Music of 97 pod. And I think that we should tell the people that we talked about this over the weekend. And we're going to do a Music of 1997 pod. We're going to do it real, real big in a couple months. Um, so this is why this is just an OK Computer pod. Just, a, just sort of a... Aperitif, and there's plenty to talk about with OK Computer. Yeah. You know, it's a record. We are going to do that bigger podcast. All of this was suggested, by the way, by a listener uh, named Courtney Harding, who is an instructor at NYU, who had me on to talk to her kids, had me on via Skype to talk to her class. Can, we, can we see that on YouTube? Nice. Um, I think you can see it on Vimeo. Vimeo. Can yeah. you really see it on Vimeo? No, I don't think so. Okay. But I want to thank her for inviting me and also for uh, the idea, because we're excited to do these music pods. Shout out to Courtney. Um, in or out, let's start. Bottom line, are you in? Or are you out? And they're out of what? We're going to start with this Justice League trailer. Mm-hmm. Because um, it's a pile of shit. There's an attack coming from far away. Not coming, Bruce. It's already here. Yeah, <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of disingenuous to be like in or out on something that we camped out outside of a year ago. We... Don't want to see this. Um, <laughs> that said, here's what I want to I want to run this by you, because it looks it looks really really bad. Um, what you might not know from the t- tell tell the folks a little bit about what Justice League is. Well, this is what I'm saying. What you might not know from the two and a half minute trailer is the plot of the movie. So in that way, it's kind of an avant garde. Uh, cinematic excursion, and so can I tell you what it what it's about? Yeah, is it? Can I can I can I pitch you on what it yeah, is about? Hit me, because you don't. You were saying to me like, watch I can this. tell from the trailer what it's about. Okay, it's the Avengers, but it's a pile of shit. Oh, I see <laughs> what you did there. Yeah, it's like the Avengers, but like with the the dimmer set much lower. Yeah. yeah. Um. Here's here you go. Here's the synopsis. This is according to the internet's um, number one movie gossip site, Wikipedia. Months after the events of Batman v Superman. And inspired by Superman's sacrifice for humanity. I love how they think that this is like the, no spoilers. It's like 1066. Like, like who gives a shit what happened in Batman for Superman? Bruce Wayne and Diana Prince assemble a team of metahumans. By the way, that's also what you, Sean, Juliet, and Mallory did when you formed the Ringer. <laughs> Consisting of The Flash, Aquaman, and Cyborg, 
By the way, that's not a team. That's just three dudes <laughs> to face the. To, are you ready for the threat though? To face. You can't even play pickup ball. To face the catastrophic threat of Steppenwolf and the Parademons, who are on the hunt for three mother boxes. So is that like Gary Sinise's theater company? That's what I was about to say. The threat of Chicago theater. Are you guys putting on putting on True West? They, to- yo, they are doing the. Illest August Osage County that has ever been done by metahumans. Yo, did you see my dude Tracy Letts has a CBS show? They straight up took Superior Donuts and put your the god Judd Hirsch in it? When you say took, you mean handed him sacks full of millions yes, of dollars for his just, play? But that's what I don't get is like, why would you buy Superior Donuts and then be like, we need to make this into a sitcom? There have been people who have been like, Pulitzer Prizes are nice, but what do they really get you in life? Right. Let me tell you what they get you, because the Letts household is caking up. <laughs> yeah. It's not just playwright Tracy Letts, a.k.a. the evil head of the CIA on Homeland, a.k.a. the dude who has a heart attack in the pilot of divorce, yeah. a.k.a. the dude who is eating gold-plated donuts off of the CBS cash yeah. from Superior Donuts. Who's he married to, Chris? Do you want to tell the world? Carrie Coon. Oh, that's right. Now, Carrie Coon, you may know as the lead actress on HBO's The Leftovers, which is returning next month. But guess what else is happening? You're the like same TV week, guide today. The What's same going on week. with you? <laughs> You're so full of I have my first coffee in six months sitting next to me right now. Carrie Coon's the star of Fargo season three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That household is literally on fire right now. Yeah, they could buy the Raiders. That is so much more interesting to me than Justice League. But here's here's my here's my new. Do you think that CBS? They, why don't they just buy a bunch of great Chicago playwrights' work and turn it into <laughs> daffy sitcoms like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, the why story not? of six men working in real estate. Three like, guys, Glenn Gary, Glenn and Ross. <laughs> they all find out they could be the father of the same teenage girl. Um, guys, look. Here's my new point. I, I was going to say it looks stupid because it just looks stupid because Zack Snyder is the worst thing ever to happen to American cinema. But I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say. If you're making a movie about the threat of Steppenwolf and the Parademons looking for mother boxes, it should look a lot more interesting than this. Because that is super weird sounding. That sounds literally insane. And can I give you one more tidbit about this movie? Yeah, man. Hit me up. All I want is tidbits on movies. Do you know that Jesus Christ himself, Willem Dafoe, is in this film playing the part Sergeant Elias? Nudis Volko, an Atlantean advisor to Aquaman. Oh, like so he's from Atlantis. I, you put the words in my mouth. I don't know. Maybe he's maybe he's the son-in-law. You know what yeah. I mean? Maybe he's the Jared Kushner of the undersea. But he's kingdom. not like Arthur Blank's like nephew in Atlanta. First of all, Arthur Curry. No, Arthur Blank, the guy who owns the Falcons. I thought you meant Arthur Blank, Aquaman. <laughs> Wait, what? What is happening? Aquaman's name is Arthur, and there's so few Arthurs. Wait. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he, he's 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 Chef Curry with the ocean. <laughs> okay. Arthur Curry. Okay. Um. It's just, it just looks real dumb, but it's like, if you told me there was a movie with Ezra Miller and Willem Dafoe and Jesse Eisenberg and Jeremy Irons and Diane Lane and Connie Nielsen, I mean, come on, man. Here's my problem with this, fam. If you're going to spend so much money on these movies, just make them look good. Like, this, they just, like, the cyborg thing is just like, uh, shit, we don't have Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, like, but, is. like, could we? Exactly. There are so... And what did you say the, uh, the, um, the Avengers bad guys are? The Chitara? The, the, it, Chitara is actually um, a urchin. pasta shape. Yeah. Oh, oh, is that's it? That's uh, cut in the shape of guitar strings. The kitara. 
Are you being for real right now? Of course. Oh my God. Why would I make that up? Because you said that like you were Rick Steves' guide to Italy. And I just couldn't tell if you were being serious. I, I am. It's getting a little goofy in here. I'm sorry. Let's keep it going. Um, I, I, do you know that Kieran Hines plays Steppenwolf? Kieran Hines is in every single film. <laughs> His voice is terrific. He's in Frozen, as I learned recently. They have to have a dark web server for Kieran Hines' IMDb page because it's just too much bandwidth. I, I do want to... Here, here's my only interest in this, then we'll move on. Um, and, and it actually leads into something I was going to say about OK Computer. <laughs> Trust me on this. Because one of the things I want to ask about when we get there okay. is... Computer. Could you make a um, avant-garde masterpiece like that, but also grab a chokehold on the popular imagination the way that album did? Yeah, that album was difficult and avant-garde, and you know they made a whole film about how they didn't want to be on camera. Mm-hmm. Wink, wink. Um, and yet it still captured the popular imagination. Justice League is a $300 million movie starring some of the most famous, iconic characters in history. It's going to come out. But it is essentially plays like a line item in Warner Brothers' budget, right? Like, even if it makes $100 million, $200, $300 million, is this going to move the culture in any positive way? Yeah, I mean, will it actually have fans and, and that I know, weren't just fans of Batman that are, like, yeah. varying levels of disappointed with it? And by the way, I'm not... Just to be clear, I don't think Infinity War is going to move the culture in any way either at right. this point. These right. things are just being made because they have to be made. But it, it's such a weird thing. It's a really weird thing. Um, in or out. So we're out on that. <laughs> in or want, out. I'm in on doing a Rick Steves-style travel log <laughs> show with you. Uh, in or out on Barry Jenkins adapting Colson Whitehead's The Underground Railroad for Amazon. Super in. Yeah, of course. I think we even – I think this was a poorly kept secret. I think we alluded to this before. Yeah. I think Sean actually may have talked to him. I mean, I don't know if they discussed this specifically, but Sean Fennessy did a great interview with Barry Jenkins prior to the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a really good example of a guy who uh, – you know, despite the success of Moonlight, critical and otherwise, probably, you know, isn't necessarily I don't know necessarily that studios are lining up to let Barry Jenkins make the stuff that he wants to make still. Do you know what I mean? There's just not that many movies like that, you know? Well, I, th- I think the 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 exciting thing is 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 when you see someone who has the talent and the vision and the sense of self. I mean, he's not an older guy by any means, but he's also not um, he's older than Damien Chazelle, for example. He's He's a guy who has worked within the system. He's, you know, he he wrote on the leftovers. He finally got it together to make this indie. He he had made a previous film. I think that what he has clearly is a good sense of his artistic self, knowing that it's what he can work in any medium. Basically, he's not going to feel like he needs to make another movie next if what he's inspired to make isn't necessarily a two-hour movie. So, make adapting this best-selling novel for Amazon is hugely exciting. Also, we're in a world where Amazon is funding movies and TV shows. Yeah. I mean, it really is just content going on their servers so and it will yeah take the money and make something cool yeah i'm looking forward to it I'm um let's get to our conversation about radiohead's okay computer first a quick break from our sponsors Hey guys, just want to tell you a little bit about the Black Tux. Looking great for a wedding or a special event has never been easier with theblacktux.com. With high quality rental suits and tuxedos delivered straight to your doorstep, the Black Tux is giving guys a new way to rent. And get this, the Black Tux offers free home try-on. So you can see the fit and feel the quality of your suit months before your event. The best part, it's completely done online, so there's no trips to the tux shop required. Theblacktux.com lets you create your look or choose from a ton of stylist-selected outfits starting at just $95. 
These suits have a modern fit and are made from fine Italian wool, the highest quality on the rental market. And if you have any questions or issues, their expert customer care team has your back every step of the way. After ordering, your suit will arrive 14 days before your event. That's a full two weeks to try it on, make sure everything fits, and if anything is less than perfect, the Black Tux will send you a free replacement right away. When your event's over, just drop the rental back in the mail. Shipping is free both ways. How easy is this? To get $20 off your first purchase, visit theblacktux.com slash BSPM. That's theblacktux.com slash BSPN for $20 off your first purchase. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Movement Watches. This was started, it's a company started by two broke kids in college who wanted to wear nice watches. And in a lot of ways, The Watch was started by two broke adults who wanted to talk about television. So we all have our origin stories, just like Wolverine. Um, These guys, they were in college and they couldn't afford to wear nice watches. They weren't John Mayer. So what they did was they founded this company on the belief that style shouldn't break the bank. They sell their products entirely online. Movement was able to cut out the middleman and the retail markup in order to provide you with the best price possible. That means watches starting at just $95. It's a fraction of what department store brands typically charge. The revolutionary pricing along with Movement's classic design, quality construction, and styled minimalism has led to over 500,000 watches being sold in over 160 countries. If this was a record, they would have gone gold. I even have one, and I've been getting compliments on it ever since I put it on. So step up your timepiece game. Step up your watch game. And see why people across the world love Movement Watches. Just go to movementwatches.com slash watch. That can't be hard to remember. And get 15% off, plus free shipping and free returns. That's mvmtwatches.com slash watch. Join the movement. Okay, man. So let's talk about OK Computer, which was a really interesting record to revisit, partially because it didn't, for me, didn't need revisiting because every mm-hmm. song on this album has, with the exception of like Fitter Happier, which even that was the ad, ad campaign. Mm-hmm. But pretty much every song on this album is like a memory. It, it's, I mean, it's like a, a recent memory. It's like it's, it's something that like as soon as I hear the opening notes, I'm like, oh, I just I know all the words. I know like that's how a uh, huge character it played in our lives although Mm -hmm. i would say that it is neither of our favorite few radiohead records right yeah it was interesting to go back to it it is and this is often the case with bands where um especially iconic bands where like they're they're they're, it's possible for an album to be absolutely universally recognized and heralded as their um uh greatest achievement Mm -hmm. but not necessarily my favorite um and i don't mean that to be um too cool for school. I don't mean that to sort of cast shade on it. It's a masterpiece. It is a conceptual masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that personally, I actually like Kid A more. I think Kid A is also a masterpiece in a very different vein. Um, you and I, when we could talk about this, I think you and I both love the Benz and the songs on the Benz. Um, and low key, ten year anniversary in rainbows. I love in rainbows. In rainbows is also a yeah. masterpiece. But OK Computer has that extra juice. It has. Uh, culturally, um, in terms of popularity, it's it's the one, and I think everyone is pretty confident and comfortable saying that about Radiohead. That's their that's their that's going to be the calling card. For as much as I remember uh, the songs song you know song for song on this record, it was interesting to go back and read about the uh, 
production, the rollout, and like the kind of reception of the album, because that also brought back memories that were just a little bit less in the forefront of my mind, especially, um, you know, when Paranoid Android was released. That was a yeah. That was like I, I remember the like five the five minutes where you're like looking around and being like do I like this? Do you like this? Is this cool? Like, wait, this is really cool. Oh my God, the end of this song is amazing. And that, it was a, everything about this record was a little bit of a challenge to the listener. And that's one of the things that I will always have my respect for. But that's what I meant, you know, and, and I, was, I was sort of kidding, but I kind of wasn't when I was talking about Justice League a minute ago. Because think about not just the balls on this band, but also the state of uh, mass media and culture that they could basically drop a six-minute prog rock song with a cartoon video and just stop time around it and make everyone turn to pay attention to it uh that was paranoid android was on mtv constantly yeah that song was on the radio and i do think one of the things that separates this record from um avant-garde powerful uh albums that are released today because they are certainly still released um and this is something that uh was written about pitchforks done a whole blowed up blew out a whole week of Mm -hmm. coverage on ok computer and i recommend i recommend checking up all of it out. It's really interesting writing. Um, but a lot of the, well, there's one long piece, I think, by Mark Hogan. It's basically like, is this the last, the last great album? Because basically the album fell off a cliff, or at least in terms of its sure. pro- rock album, because sure. of, in, in, in its prominence. I do think that um, it was possible then to still, to basically turn your back on the spotlight, but not quit the stage in a way then. Now it's very common to see artists who are ready to make the next leap make bold artistic statements i mean if you look at something like frank ocean last year sure but not want the spotlight in that way and the spotlight is all too happy to turn somewhere else well you can make you can make you could make noise in a quiet way in 1997 that i don't know if you still can today the records find those records find their audiences and they are beloved and they are talked about and written about but okay computer was a blanket across pop culture yeah, in 1997. And it's funny that you say make noise in a quiet way because <clears throat> The Benz was a hit. The Benz was like a massive album. Not in America, though. No, but I think High and Dry and Just and Fake Plastic Trees were alternative rock staples. Eventually. I mean, I think that's the other thing I wanted to talk about was to really put people back in... Let's, let's, bring people let's back talk about to that. The 90s. T- because, t- like, start there. Start in, like, 94, 95, whenever that is. So I remember, I'm sure you do too, when Creep was a radio hit yes. off of their first record Pablo Honey and because I was already a fully fledged adolescent snob I turned my nose up at it right and I did not buy Pablo Honey because it was just another seemingly like grunge biting single uh, in a sea of them yeah the Benz came out and I remember I remember going to like Tower Records and seeing that Radiohead had put out another record and, and I was like eyes. wow you know, I guess they put out another record um, all credit can I say my, one thing yeah. about Creep really quickly though um, regardless of whether you like it or not it is the first uh, chapter in what would be a recurring theme throughout radio's career, which is basically being in a prison of their own design. Yeah. So they write this song "Creep," which they I kind of I mean they actually wound up playing it a lot more in the last in the few last years, five live, or six, yeah, seven, eight years, uh, and revisiting it. But you know, initially they had written this song, and it was kind of like um, thrown into the mix of. Uh, a pool of songs that Andy and I actually have quite a bit of affection for, but it was basically a quiet, loud alt rock gimmick song, like uh, like uh, "Who Sucked Out the Feeling" by yeah. Super Drag, or, Same or with Loser, Better Than Ezra, which is you know in Barry Walters' Good. spin review of, of OK Computer, he draws a lot of parallels between Radiohead mm-hmm. and Beck and uh, oh, God, Creep the 90s. And, and Creep and Loser were both these anthemic generational statements that the 
author of those anthems wanted nothing to do with they and wrote no them responsibility off. for it. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing, there's still to this day few things more 90s than a band having a hit record and refusing to play it. Yeah. Um, it, it was kind of incredible. So they made Creep, they put out the Benz. Some people are a little bit skeptical about it. The Benz is a masterpiece. The Benz has, the Benz is one of the, the great, great anthemic rock records of the 90s or of our lifetime. Um, but it, you know, it, it was sort of DOA here for a long time, um, but it grew slowly in a way things could back then. Um, and Fake Plastic Trees is basically a power ballad, and that's the that's the song that really shot it into the stratosphere to the extent that it went there. Yeah, it, I think it, it. I think the album peaked in the the like the lower bottom of the the Billboard 200, and then a year later it, it peaked at 87 because okay. of High and Dry and Fake Plastic Trees in the UK, um, where they were already a little bit more successful. Street Spirit was released as a single. I mean, what a world is this? Street Spirit and, has an incredible video. And too. that was their biggest hit. Do you remember that? Hit. The black and white with the oh, jumping yeah. off of trailers? The, the videos also were a big way that we learned about this band. I mean, I, my first, my reintroduction to them was Tom York and the Shopping Cart in the Fake Plastic, in the fake plastic Trees oh, video. Yeah. And then the Just video where everybody lies down. Just video is brilliant. Yeah. That might be my favorite video of theirs. Um, the point being, it was a really unique thing where somehow... Again, and this felt very organic at the time in a way I don't know if things still are. The Benz, the Benz had done the slow work of changing popular opinion about them so that people were ready for OK Computer to be a massive record. Yeah. They weren't ready for this particular record. Now, I remember very distinctly because Andy and I at, the, at this time were like starting to get really into British pop music and buying a lot of like British import stuff. Mm-hmm. And there was a, uh, a charity record called Help. Yes, God uh, Help was a big record, and I think that's ninety five, ninety six. Help. It was came recorded out. in one day. It was a it was a benefit record. Yeah, it was it was a benefit record where all the songs were recorded in one day. It was released. It was a big a big deal for me. Was in the fall of ninety five. Went to uh, In Your Ear Records in Providence, Rhode Island, on Thayer Street. I'm sure it's no longer there. And I bought um, What's the Story, Morning Glory by Oasis. That Help compilation and Super Chunks. Here's where the strings come in. That was a pretty big day at the old record shop. That's a good haul. Good haul. Um, Yeah, Help was amazing. And it had all these great songs by Axe that we were... Swade's cover of Shipbuilding. That was a classic. Which was really good. Elvis Costello's Shipbuilding. It had um, Morning Air by Portishead. It had... uh, Stone Roses Love Spreads. There was an Oasis and Friends song. You know who the friend was? Johnny Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) But what it also had was Lucky by Radiohead, which was the first piece of new music that they had really released since Mm -hmm. Okay, since the Benz. And was this, I remember that like there were people were like, oh, these guys are going for it in like a really big way. They've changed their sound. There's this, it's just this morose, very um, almost like, it wasn't quite related to the fame, whatever fame they might have gotten in England from mm-hmm. the Benz, but it was like just very obviously what you're talking about, which is this like we're going to take a step off the diving board and see what happens. And one thing that it's worth mentioning about the release of OK Computer, this happened uh, in the early 90s too, where basically something comes along and it's a lightning strike that just clears the field. And up until the release of OK Computer, you had a lot of lad rock in England. Mm-hmm. You had the Britpop wars mm-hmm. between Blur and Oasis. You had a lot <clears> of like a kind of uh, broy culture around music that was like this, you know, Guy Ritchie kind of like enthusiasm for traditional masculine British culture. Mad for it, lager, lager, lager. And in the same year, OK Computer comes out, and then Be Here Now comes out by Oasis. Mm-hmm. 
And you just see basically like the collapse of that lag culture and the explosion of this, what would really be a theme for 1997, this like incredibly open-eared, postmodern, pastiche pop music that's like Bjork and Radiohead and Beck and all these people who are just taking and borrowing from rap and dance and all these other genres and making something all their own. I had, in hindsight, the, the take that I had about, about 97, especially in the role of British music, was, first of all, you listen to OK Computer, and then you think about where we are in the world now, and you think about 1997. I'm like, what were they so upset about? What was he so upset about? There's no internet. It is very hard <laughs> yeah. to imagine a more stable year for the large Western civilizations than 1997. I know. I know. But then you think about it a little more, and you think about a couple things. One... Uncertainty about the future feels awful no matter what's going on, whether there's a reason for it or not. I mean, there's a reason, you know, we feel terrible at the thought of someone like outside of our door, even if the door is locked, even if no one's there. Mm-hmm. It's always that feeling of not knowing what's around the corner. I mean, in 96, when Tricky put out Premillennium Tension, I mean, that was a thing people were talking about. We didn't know what was coming. And Radiohead right. was, was at the front of this idea of computers playing a larger and disruptive role in our lives. But the thing that unites the... F- I mean, 97 was also unique because the three major British bands, rock bands of the 90s, all released albums that year. And they were all albums that represented shifts in what that band had been and what they would become. In February, I think Blur released their self-titled record. OK Computer came out in March and Be Here Now came out at the end of the summer. And it's very hard to draw parallels between those records, except except if you think about what they were coming from, what they were breaking out of. And I was listening to Subterranean Homesick Alien, which you shouted out in the intro, a song I forgot existed, completely did not remember the song on the record. And what struck me when I was listening to it again was just, it's kind the observations are not exactly... like uh, PhD level on the record, sure. You know, he's he's basically complaining about the terrors of suburbia and becoming a, a working. It's stiff. like extremely reads J.G. Ballard once. You know, <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, all three of those records are kind of like that in a very intense way. Now, remember, Noel Gallagher was making fun of Radiohead and Liam Gallagher making fun of them left, right, and center. Right. If right. they were really so into the idea of just old England and nipping down to the the pub for a pint. And celebrating the way things used to be and backwards looking, they would not have been getting zooted out of their fucking gourds every day the way they were. All these albums, and, and Blur's self-title album is breaking out of the shackle of like this sort of poncy satire they were doing for three records with um, with Park Life and The Great Escape and, and Modern Life is Rubbish. And instead they like ran off to America to like make a pavement make record, a pavement record yeah. just to escape. All three of these records are saying, don't trap me in this. Mm-hmm. Let me get out of this in a kind of interesting way that speaks to each other, even though, with good reason, OK Computer is in the stratosphere compared to those other much more earthbound records. The biggest surprise going back through OK Computer this time was finding out, which I just, I don't know why I never knew this, but I think we think of this album as this breathtakingly original statement. And I did not know that Radiohead were fucking biters. They were sharks, as Raekwon said, <laughs> two years before. Um, I made a playlist that you can find on Spotify. I'll tweet out the link, but it's called An Airbag Saved My Life if you just want to search it on Spotify. And just doing a little bit of like light Googling, I found out that a lot of these songs were very um, conscious or unconscious, but like very clear nods to other classic tracks. So, for instance, um, Sexy Sadie, The Beatles, is basically the beginning of Karma Police is pulled from the beginning of Sexy Sadie by the Beatles. Um, no Surprises is 
mirrors wouldn't it be nice by the beach boys they what was cool about this i mean aside from the fact that like nothing is new but what i liked about it was what a lot of people loved about radiohead especially in this run from okay computer through amnesiac was the fact that they were a um trampoline for like ideas that were existing in these sort of rock critical uh, canon, you know, whether it was the vaunted, the way that Pet Sounds got vaunted, but the Beach Boys Pet Sounds mm-hmm. is vaunted, or, um, you know, Deep Love of the White Album, or Can, or DJ Shadow, or any, or early REM. There's a, a guitar riff from Fall on Me on, by REM is basically the guitar riff from Letdown. And I had no idea. I didn't know that there were such explicit nods. Pavement often got um, a lot of credit and a little bit of mm-hmm. grief for jacking a fall song or like you know borrowing heavily from other songs to, to you know the opening riff of silent kid is just basically buddy holly's every day i mean there's a lot of that kind of stuff happening and it almost felt like singing record reviews and mm-hmm. that was as a rock critic or burgeoning <laughs> like a, a aspirin would one. be a really it was really exciting though yeah you think of it it's interesting in hindsight to be able to place it in a context when for us at 20 years old this was just like it, it, it came from another planet. Yeah. Um, let's go. Let's let's. Well, we can do this quickly, but I wanted to go track by track, just some th- you know, throw out some thoughts on each track on mm-hmm. this record. Sure. Um, because if nothing else, this is an excuse to revisit it. First song is "Airbag." My main takeaway from this song is, you know, he Tom York is putting it in quotes, but he's saying, "I'm back to save the universe." Yeah. I mean, and this is a very, very, <clears throat> very smart lead track. They don't, make, they don't really do lead tracks like this enough anymore. I'm, I miss Tom York wanting to save the universe. You know, if, if there's one thing, and, and you know, it, it's ridiculous. This is easy to say, talking to a microphone and having no no skin in, in their game whatsoever. Um, they made OK Computer. It's to their great credit, both as, as artists and probably in terms of their career, they didn't try again um, because they had done it. But it was it was pretty cool that even, however unhappy he was on tour, he did put on a cape. Mm-hmm. He put on a cape to do something and put you the world on You don't make a record like this because if you wanted to make a record, like we joked about this last week, but if you wanted to make a record and like obscure yourself, there were ways to do that in 1997. Yeah. Oldham just didn't, you couldn't figure out who Palace was. He changed he, the name of his band yeah, on every record. Yeah, I mean, like there was a degree to which Radiohead was having their cake and eating it too. They were they were out there mm-hmm. in the public eye, bemoaning being in the public eye, making movies about being in the public eye, yeah. playing Glastonbury and being like, "Oh God, this is such a drag," you know, like. And still, and and I got this from um, that Mark Hogan piece on Pitchfork. I completely missed this moment or forgot about it, but there is a moment in I think it's a meeting people is easy when Tom York is like. Whoa, imagine if someone likes our band as much as I like R.E.M. and the Smiths. He knows. Yeah, of course. He knows. He's not just choking, uh, not just stroking his chin in Oxford. Like, yeah. He knows. Uh, Paranoid Android. Can I be honest with you? 20 years on, I still don't know if I like this song. I just pure like it. Did I love listening to it? I think Did I completely become obsessed with the video? Once every few years, you yeah. have to bow down to it. If yeah. you're like, let's run it back, you probably need to go see a therapist. <laughs> okay, fair. Subterranean Homesick Alien. Forgot it existed. Pretty good song. <laughs> damn good song. This is one of the songs I used to skip. And yeah. now I'm like, damn, this Ooh. shit is good. Yeah, man. People were uptight in the 90s. <laughs> Exit music for a film is fascinating to me because this was on the soundtrack to Romeo and Juliet. It was written actually for Romeo and Juliet. They were screened footage by Baz Luhrmann and they were like, yeah, we got one, got one for this you. This is one of the last examples of Radiohead engaging in the culture they were very, very quick to distance themselves from. Right. And even in the title of it. There, are, there's, there, there's, there's the ironic quotes around it. There's the parentheses. They're making it clear that they did this for someone else. And you can kind of tell. Um, but at the same time, in a very 90s way, 
making a song from the perspective of young people that isn't about our love is wonderful. It's them saying we hope you choke. Yeah. There is a there is a adolescent bitterness in this that is actually quite refreshing. Uh, Letdown is one of the two or three best songs Radiohead's ever made. You took the words out of my mouth. Letdown is Letdown is my co-number one Radiohead song of all time. Yeah. There is a uh, there's a video on YouTube of them playing Letdown for the first time in ten years last year Oof. at Madison Square Garden. They didn't play it for years, and it like there's like they start to play the guitar part, and you can hear all these people in the crowd go, "Holy shit!" <laughs> like the real Radiohead fans are like, "I can't believe I'm here for this." There's a thing we you know that I I often fall back on this when talking about painting, which is something I never do. So that's why I only <laughs> use this one analogy. Yeah, which is like. Yeah, Picasso did that, or like Jackson Pollock did that, but they could also draw fruit. You know right. what I mean? Like you knew they learned how to paint before they learned how to deconstruct painting. Right. And if you listen to what Johnny Greenwood can do with his guitar on like the There Will Be Blood soundtrack, or he can basically make an orchestra sound like a swarming end times locust. He can do that because he made something that is just the most purely beautiful sound you can ever imagine. Yeah, on song. the the video from the garden. There's that last part, like there's the middle eight, and then like the Tom York does some stuff and starts going like. Yeah. And then right before it kind of gets going again in the last 30 seconds, there's this footage from the garden and Greenwood is standing like off to the side. And it kind of reminds me of like when Chris Paul finally takes over in the fourth quarter because he has the guitar like in the farthest possible place (laughs) before he could actually start playing it. And then he just like slides into this like Peter Buck part that's just like lights out. And it's just like one of those things like if Johnny Greenwood just wanted to be the best rhythm guitar player in the world, he could. But he's too busy being like, for Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. You don't really know often when you're living through times of great great change or tumult or the last days of something, except now because we probably are living in the last days of something. <laughs> yeah. But especially because for us, when you're, when, you're, when you're 20 years old, no matter when you're 20 years old, you're like, bet, let's get this. Yeah. Like the future is wide open and I'm going to make it good because it has to be good because I get a chance at this, sure. right? Yeah. I do think that the thing about the 90s and particularly the late 90s is there was this overarching feeling of boundaries coming down and it started obviously at the end of the cold war yeah. beginning of the internet suddenly you could you could travel more you could you could you could communicate more things were things were opening up and that can be very very scary particularly if you are in what many people said pre-britpop was kind of a um a parochial country right yeah. i mean yeah. i think people that people drew, drew a line between like John Major Britain and the Tony Blair Britain, and all of a sudden things were a little bit more right, New Britannia, a little, right. little bit more happening. And um, that's that's what I always heard in Let Down. It was looking like peeking over the wall and being being pre disappointed for what was about to come rushing in to fill the space that for a minute filled you with hope. Yeah, I always thought it was like a, a also like a subtly great like love song for Last Call. What what is your other favorite Radiohead song? We can't leave that unattended. Idiotech and um, I would say probably Reckoner. 
you know, Reckoner, Reckoner is top five dead or alive. Um, <laughs> my number one is, is, is Kid A, the title track. Is it? Yeah. I've never heard weirder, more beautiful music, sadder, beautiful music than that. All I right, think about that song a lot. Okay, computer. See, Karma Police? Karma Police, Karma Police is, that's the, that's the one. Like, that's the song that when people, do, all the adjectives people use to describe OK Computer, I feel like they're talking about Karma Police because it is the most majestic, the most beautiful, the most haunting and low-key funny song on the yeah. whole record. Um, it's, it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty an amazing song. Oh, yeah. And a video. Um, Fitter Happier was, it's just interesting because Train Spotting is also 20 years old and... You know, when the the one of the things that made trade spotting such a sensation was the advertising campaign, which was just this speech: "Choose life." You yeah. know, why would I do that if I could choose heroin? It's this like kind of written text speech that was very eye grabbing at the time. And the advertising campaign for OK Computer mm-hmm. were the lyrics from "Fitter Happier," mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, and they were just like, like pop f- up on subway stops in in England. So the full page ad in the just, enemy. Just a little insight there. Um, electioneering. <laughs> Come well, on, fam. Not, not, not every record <laughs> is perfect. Yeah. Um, here's the thing about electioneering. I rem- remember when, like, there was the Tibetan Freedom Concerts, and Tom York was singing with with Michael Stipe at them, and this connection that was seemed both exciting and kind of inscrutable to me between REM, who were my favorite band, and Radiohead, who were the most exciting, biggest band mm-hmm. in the world all of a sudden. Um, at, again, in hindsight, they had a lot of things in common, especially in terms of their desire to be private in a lot of ways, and and their their difficult negotiation and with their being flirtation the band with in the being world. big versus yes. being true to themselves yeah but perhaps no greater commonality than the fact that both both bands probable maybe masterpieces um uh, automatic for the people and okay computer i think track eight is a kind of kind of stumbling what's political the, song what's track eight on automatic for the people ignore land can i ask you a quick rem question really really quickly I've been waiting five years of podcasts for this moment. so letdown i mentioned was pulled from uh, follow me. What is your between Fables of the Reconstruction and Life Search Pageant? Which one do you like? More? Pageant, 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 pageant. Okay. Pageant is a very big album for me. Okay. I mean, Fables is an amazing we record. We can do REM Pod later. Ooh, I'm ready for it. <laughs> Ignoreland is track eight, by the way. On automatic <laughs> get. Um Climbing up the walls. Climbing up the walls. Loki, one of the best songs on the record. Think about that song a lot. Very, very disturbing. And also, that in some ways might be the song. It felt like an outlier when you first listened to it, especially before those the big ballads at the end of the record. But climbing up the walls probably says more about uh, presages more of what Radiohead was about to do than anything else. Right. It's sonically very experimental and very claustrophobic and dark, and that's kind of where they went. Uh, no surprises. I quite, I quite like. I, this was the one that was like. That was Revel- the most British record review. Quite like it. No, I quite like it, but bad. this is the one that I was, it was revelatory. To, yes. I did not know this was Wouldn't It Be Nice. Yeah. And just inverted and Wouldn't It Be Awful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I was it's, just, I was, it was fascinated by the fact that they were using all this stuff from Pet Sounds. It's kind of a wonder that in this golden age of um, season finales being, where the season finales of prestige dramas, where the expositional lift of the final beats is always off outsourced to a pop song mm-hmm. that literally every show hasn't ended a season with no surprises. Right. Like if you did a re-edit of like every major television show of the last 15 years and you took out whatever Steve Earle song ended the wire or you took out whatever song ended the Sopranos or lost, just put no surprises in, it would work. Yeah. That's probably the vibe they were going for, but <laughs> they were, true. it was too on the nose for them to do. Uh, Lucky is a masterpiece. Like Lucky is so gorgeous. I still like the ship building cover more. I don't, <laughs> I just, <laughs> just really, um, I know you're not into it, but I really love, uh, Air, air, airplane crash imagery. 
Yeah, I know. This is this is this is like Whip Whitaker's iPod. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he just loves vibing out to it. It's a shame that they were like, we have to go back. <laughs> one thing, and and then there's the tourist, which is a song no one remembers, but is very nice. One more thing, I want to throw at you before we move on. Um, I cannot believe it's 20 years since this record. Uh, we have often we often try to pull one album out of every band's career as the greatest, as their best. I mean, we we come from the list-making industrial complex. This is what we do. We also, you and I, have bemoaned the rise of trilogies as the only way to tell stories, right? That every movie, every piece of IP has to be repurposed as a trilogy. With that caveat, I wonder if it makes more sense to look at the lifespan of great bands and their discographies as trilogies. Because OK Computer, to my mind, is the mastered what they were going for for Pablo Honey and the Benz. It is an extension of those. In my mind, OK Computer was this incredibly visionary, sonically bold experiment. But in listening to it again today for the first time in, in quite some time, I was realizing how much of it is is uh, is the Benz taken to its logical extreme? Mm-hmm. It's the Benz stripped of the. I mean, you you mentioned a, an, an obvious bite, but in many ways, a lot of the Benz when the guitars, when it's time for the guitars to come in, they soar and they chime sure. as they are yeah. supposed to. And on this it, record, almost they like self consciously, so on things like Fake Plastic Trees, where it's like you know, like yeah, they, you know they're coming. Yeah. here they come. Uh, my Iron Lung, you know, the guitars in that are, are dare I say it, Beatles esque, but. OK Computer really was the culmination of the band they were trying to be. Yeah. And then they tore it down and they started again. Yeah. And I think you can apply that trilogy logic to a lot of great, a yeah, lot of great Bar- artists. Yeah, Barry Walters in his, uh, in his review said that it was a DIY electronica record made with guitars. They dropped the guitars after this for a while. They did. And last point that I thought was really smart coming out of those Pitchfork pieces was the attempt to recast Radiohead as a soul band. And a band that kind of... And Barry Walters had a great line in his spin review that he, that he name-checked too, basically saying they... They bypass the heart. They're a soul band that bypasses the heart and like transcends into the soul or into the spirit. Um, people have rarely accused Radiohead of being funky in any way. No. But there is something soulful about this album. And I was thinking about how on In Rainbows, an album you just said that we loved, that first track on, on In Rainbows, um, 15 Step. Mm-hmm. Do you remember in 2009 when Radiohead played the Grammys with a USC marching band? And they had a full horn section yeah. in 15 step. And it's like, oh, this music is in this song. Sure. This music is there. It's just through their sort of cracked filter. And I think that that's one of the more interesting things to think about when you look at R&B artists that have cited OK Computer as a masterpiece or um, I, I, I know someone can Google this for us like an interview with Timbaland in like 98 or 99 where he talks about it. Yeah. This record the, the true, sometimes I think the true test of a great record isn't how it, the band's fans re- respond to it or even like mass fans respond to it in like Starbucks. The, the peers review. How yeah. it filters into yeah. the overall conversation and the overall language of music going forward. So 
That's cool. I can't believe it's 20 years. Um, let's end up the pod really quickly with just a few a few words about TV. Do you have a show <laughs> that you wanted to recommend to me? Yo. And uh, yo, yeah, hit me up. I if I can't tell what this is going to be. I've named Andy's like <laughs> I have. A, I want to make a recommendation, but I don't want to tell you. I want to keep the like the bit is that you're going to be surprised. It's not a bit. I'm just saying. If there... this is like a kids show, I'm going to be like, come on, fam. No, this is a show you watch after you put the kids to bed, and you're like. There's a show on Netflix right now. It's called Samurai Gourmet. Okay? It is the most Japanese shit I've ever seen in my life. And I drink it up like ice cold sake. <laughs> this show. Are you ready for what the show is? Yeah. Let me just give you the, the, the boardroom pitch for the show. It is about a 60-year-old man, newly retired. Is it a narrative show? Yeah. Okay. Every episode is 19 minutes long. Let me just do Italian chef kissing fingers. Perfect. This dude... Wakes up his first day of retirement, and he's like, I don't know what to do. I'm filled with feelings of shame because I spent my entire life working. And his wife's like, water the plants, and why don't you go for a walk? And he's like, I guess. And he walks to the train station. This is like like, nine. They got ten left. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, I'm at the train station. It's the only place I know where to go. And he goes, ah, a restaurant, a traditional Japanese restaurant. It's been here the whole time. And he sits down, and he looks at the menu for a long time. Wait, where's this set? Tokyo. So why is he surprised there's a Japanese restaurant? Because he's he's just walked past this restaurant. (laughs) Oh, it's like he He says it's an old-fashioned restaurant. Gotcha, gotcha. And he orders, like, sliced pork stir-fried, and then he's like, I kind of want a beer. And he looks around at everyone else who's, like, about to go back to the office, and he's like, no, that would be embarrassing. Like, people would think I'm a layabout. And then he hallucinates a fucking samurai walking into the restaurant and drinking an entire carafe of sake and, like, threatening people with a sword. And he's like, that's what I need to do. I need to be like a samurai. And he orders a big beer, and he drinks it. That's the episode. That's the whole show. The episode is called Midday Beer at a Restaurant. This is my shit. (laughs) First of all, the second episode, he goes to a bad restaurant and feels nervous about telling the proprietor that the food was bad. This is my life. I can really relate to this dude. What I'm saying is there is TV for everyone, okay? Yeah. And a show about a guy who's... Pretty excited when they grill the salmon correctly. So this is this is what you're looking for. When I tell you that someone on Big Little yes. Lies got their urethra broken yep. in two places, mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, cool. But like, you want Japanese restaurant fantasy season one, fiction. episode nine, croquettes of the heart. Okay, that's it. <laughs> that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> Goodbye. That's a real deal. That's really a show. I didn't make it up. We'll be back on Thursday with a special guest to talk about Legion. I can't wait. We do have a special guest. He's not a hallucinated samurai, although he could play one. Uh, And until then, we'll talk to you soon. Order a beer in the afternoon, Baranski. (laughs) Look at this. You have to watch the show. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Fusion TV's The AV Globe. Thanks to them for sponsoring us. Pop culture, as you may have noticed from this podcast, is everywhere. According to non-existent studies, it's 83% of the things you consume, even more than oxygen. At the acclaimed pop culture website, The AV Club, it's all they ever want to talk about. And now, they're coming to TV. The AV Club, hosted by John Teddy, is a weekly deep dive that illuminates the fun, strange corners of pop culture. The AV Club airs Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Fusion TV. Visit fusion.net slash where to watch for details.